Hello, Pace Liners. Michael Houghton here from the start line at the Leadville Trail 100. We're about to roll out. Looks like we're about 45 seconds away from our start. Well, it's been a number of months of preparation, getting ready for this. We know you've put up a lot with Fatty and I talking about Leadville constantly. Patrick, thank you for listening to us through this entire process. But here we are, this is the big day. Fatty and the Hammer behind me somewhere, both on single speeds, ready to roll this thing. I'm up here on a geared bike in Red Corral, about ready to roll out for the Leadville Trail 100. We'll have lots of talk about what happens in this race, a recap, some memories to share, and Patrick will include you somehow in all this too. All right, folks, we'll see you at the end of the race. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. Baseline, the podcast on two wheels, back to normal breathing conditions. Fatty and I out of the thin air of Leadville, Colorado. Fatty, it feels good to be home, but on the same token, it doesn't feel good to be home, does it? You know, there is sort of a post-Christmas letdown if, uh, I don't know if I'm uh, misquoting Charles Schultz right or not, but when you focus on one thing for a whole year there is sort of a weird directionless, rudderless feel after that thing has happened. Yeah, I have been in a fog since uh, returning to home base here, too. Uh, and generally, yeah, there's this malaise and this oh, this wanting to be kind of back where you were and, and that high you were on uh, in the Colorado Rockies for the Leadville Trail 100. But here we are, back to normal, but everything is uh, trying to get to... We're trying to move things forward again with life and put Leadville behind us. Uh, we have one more show, though, I think, to, to <laughs> dedicate to uh, Leadville and to annoy Patrick and our listeners with, and, and then we'll move on to other great topics. Of course, the Fat Cyclist, a, a veteran of 20 Leadville Trail 100s and a big supporter of the Paceline podcast. And I guess I would not be going out on a limb to say that you already are getting ready for, for number 21, Fatty? Well, I do have to do at least one more because while I've started 20, I have finished 19. So, yeah, I'm not going to let it rest here. I, uh, I'm going to do one, one more at the very least. Okay. Red Kite Prayer is the home of the Pace Line. And Patrick Brady, home is uh, where you stayed for this edition of the LT100. You are uh, sticking to your mental block, I guess, that the altitude is no place for your lungs or heart or head. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a mental block. Uh, I just like breathing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I, I still think it, it's, it's a place you could knock down. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, how much you can put up with and, and uh, how much you can manage. So a lot of folks, everyone struggles with the altitude uh, of Leadville. I'm oh, yeah. uh, your host, uh, you know, uh, I'm your host, Michael Houghton, a regular guy with normal-sized lungs and somehow manage my way through that, uh, that area. Uh, and uh, I'm still undecided about next year, Fatty. I don't know what's going to happen. So let's focus on this year for now. And coming up in our second segment, you're going to hear from Fatty at the finish line, still <laughs> high on his ride, his brain still short on O2, and, and then we'll go over his day as a super domestique for the <laughs> hammer. 
Uh, Patrick also has a race report and an injury update that we'll get to. <laughs> uh, but first, let's get to the pr- let's get the pros out of the way. And we should start by saying, uh, because of the lack of a tour of Colorado, aka the U.S. Pro Challenge, a number of roadies lined it up in Leadville. Ted King, Joe Dombrowski, Lachlan Morton, Lawrence Tandam, Timothy Duncan, Alex Howes, John Hornbeck, Hornbeck, that is, all on the line at Leadville uh, Saturday morning. So it was, uh, you know, quite a star-studded field from the roadie side of things. Add to that, you had Jeremiah Bishop of the Topi Kurgan team on the record saying he was gunning for his teammate Alvin Lakata's record, which, set, uh, which was set the year prior. That was the first sub-six-hour time of 5.58.35. And, you know, guys, the course seemed ripe for fast times mm-hmm. as we were sitting around Leadville uh, during the week. Uh, here's what we heard a lot of. That would be a genuine Leadville thunder. Nice. Uh, it got uh, The whole course got a lot of rain for most of the week. In fact, we were picking up thunderstorms right through Thursday uh, before race day. And Fatty, when we pro- pre-rode the course, it had this nice tight pack and oh, yeah. no dust. And it just seemed like, man, that thing was ready for a fast time. Oh, yeah. Nice and tacky, uh, well-groomed. It felt like there, if, you know, of course, there's a million variables that can affect how the general field is going to do. But if you looked at the dirt, you knew that that was one variable that was really well-suited for a fast time. So with Bishop, Jeremiah Bishop, committed to the record, and all those roadies in, temps forecasted for cooler than normal, low 60s, mm-hmm. seemed like we would get a fast course and some fast times. But in the end, we got a winning time of 6.19, and that's the slowest since 2012. Todd Wells was the uh, men's champ. He and two others got away pretty early. Joe Dombrowski, a roadie, and Jeremiah Bishop, also part of that early selection. Here's Todd at the finish on how it all went down. JB attacked right at the start. And uh, I was like, oh man, here we go again. <laughs> um, I, w- I went across to him, Joe bridged to us on the first climb, and we just rolled together the rest of the day, just the three of us. It was, um, you know, it was really long, and Bishop wanted to break the record, so he was pushing hard, and once it became apparent, we didn't have a big enough group for that. He kind of eased back, and we took it kind of easy up Columbine, and then, I was surprised to be able to hang with Joe on uh, power line and even gap him a little bit. I attacked him over the top, and uh, that was the race. And, uh, Fatty, I heard more than one person say they were really glad to see a mountain biker take the crown. How about you? Were you happy that it was a mountain biker in the end? You know, um, one of the nice things about doing that race is that at one point you get to see uh, who the lead group is, even as a racer. And I will, I will say that, uh, the hammer, uh, my wife and I, as we were riding side by side, uh, and we saw, uh, Todd Wells, uh, burning down, uh, you know, burning down the Columbine, uh, you know, with the wide section of it. And he was in the lead. We noticed a, that, they were fr- they took longer to get to that point than we expected and we knew right then that there was not going to be a sub 6 finish so i mean you know i i knew 3 and a half hours in that there was not going to be a sub 6 finish um and i will also say that i did turn to my wife and say it is so awesome that Todd Wells 
is in the lead. You know, I didn't know at the time whether he'd finish uh, first, but he is such a good guy. He is out there chatting with folks, and he is, um, you know, he supports a lot of great causes, and he respects this race and knows this race. And I think that's part of why he won, his experience with the course and his uh, his experience with this kind of altitude and endurance um, you've got to respect those, and he, you know, he showed that those count for a lot. That just being a super fast roadie isn't necessarily enough to win uh, the Leadville 100. Mm-hmm. Do you have any clue why we did not see a faster time? I think that um, what I said before actually does hold place. They're uh, being used to that kind of altitude is critical, and a lot of the roadies sort of parachuted in and did the race. Uh, I didn't see Dombrowski before, um, I think Friday, he might've been there before Friday, but I didn't, I didn't see him. Um, I know that, uh, the Wells is used to that altitude and furthermore is used to what it does to your brain and to your body. And it doesn't matter whether you're a pro or just a normal person, the effects of hitting that sort of magical 11,000, 11,500 foot spot it it wrecks you brain it wrecks your brain it wrecks your legs and it can wreck your morale and people um i I just don't think that people are going to be necessarily as fast and so um these super fast guys um you know they need they need to spend more time on the course if they're going to be able to uh set a record yeah and the in the absence of uh alban lakata and the rest of the topeak ergon team at least in mass Mm -hmm. You know, Jeremiah was kind of left to his own devices to yep. try and figure out how to how to break that record, and he needed a, a bigger and stronger group probably to try and knock that thing down. Hence, we had a you know a six nineteen in the end. Yeah, Here, here's how the roadies fared, and we had a good group of them. Uh, we had uh, Joe Dombrowski. Yeah, he was the top drop bar boy in second place. Nice, nice job. Oh in yeah. The end. And he, he, he was coming out of Utah, tour of Utah, um, so he certainly had fitness. He told Cycling Tips he had a gap on power line coming home, but then bobbled and was forced off the bike. Then on a descent, he overshot a corner, and that gave Wells the room he needed to operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dombrowski compared the day to one of road cycling's one-day classics, except you're getting beat up from the terrain, and you're riding on your limit on each climb. Uh, so Joe Dombrowski on the podium, second place. Yeah, if he comes had- back, he's then I would uh, I'd put money on him finishing first. It's, yeah, you you get a certain bonus amount on your time just by knowing the course and what it does to you. Yeah, even even mountain bikers. Todd Wells took a couple shots at this before he eventually broke through too. So mm-hmm. it's not like you just show up and and win the thing. I think you know in the days when Weens was the only guy winning it. Um, yeah, that, that meant Armstrong took two attempts. Yep. Leipheimer got it done in one, but probably got a little assist from his buddy, uh, Lance to, to learn how to get that race done. So, um, I think now you're, I think you're absolutely right, Fatty. Experience plays a big role in how you go about this race. Cause it's so competitive at the top of the race. Mm-hmm. Alex Howes, another roadie was six. Howes wasn't a fan of the 6.30 a.m. start, which uh, required a 4.30 a.m. Wake-up call. What time do you get up, Fatty, for the Leadville Trail 100? I set my alarm for 4. 4. That's reasonable. I think I was up at 3.30 because <laughs> I had a teammate who thought he wanted to be on the line at 5 a.m. Oh, wow. 
which wasn't necessary, of course. I showed up there at 5.30 and stood around with him for a while for no good reason. How's, uh, Alec, back to Haller's house, as he went up the first climb and just simply wasn't awake. It was so early. And he wasn't ready for the kind of effort that those guys uh, put out going up St. Kevin's. Ted King, uh, somebody we had dinner with, Fatty, uh, finished 12th. Um, he had done Dirty Kanza, which he said, you know, obviously took him about 12 hours. And that was a whole lot of suffering, said Ted. But uh, then he goes into Leadville thinking, well, it's going to be about half the time or a little bit more. It's, it should be about the same amount of suffering. Uh, not so. <laughs> Ted found, found out in the end that uh, this was quite a beating, and he felt you know equally as hammered after Leadville as he did after winning a dirty Kansas. Um, it was good seeing Ted around, though, right? I mean, World Bicycle Relief, fundraiser. He had a lot more going on than just this race. So 12th place, I think a nice, a, a nice showing for him, considering his busy schedule. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ted, by the way, is a featured guest on a fatty cast. If you want to check out more from Ted, he's actually talking about Leadville uh, before the actual race, but still some interesting insights about what he had planned to do at Leadville, what he kind of hoped to do. Uh, Lawrence Tandam, Patrick, our favorite family man and, uh, and a yeah. regular around Sonoma County parts in California. Here, here are his reflections. Said the race was way above his expectations. Lawrence says he was in the front group over the first couple of climbs, but then wipes out on the second descent, which much of the, uh, hmm. must have been power line. Then the altitude started affecting him. Then, as Lawrence put it, along came that effing climb, a Columbine. He <laughs> said that put him in the, in the box, whatever that means, for the rest of the day. He tweeted afterwards that this was one of the hardest races he's ever done. And we're talking about a guy who uh, has like nine or ten Tour de France's under his belt. So... Yeah, uh, certainly is saying something about Lawrence Tandem. Twenty second place for Lawrence. Wow. I love that uh, he has that. What he just described is a perfectly typical experience of a normal person at the race. You know the, you know the first or second climb, kicking your butt, wiping out, coming down the power line or flatting, and having the Columbine kick your corn. You know that's what the rest of us experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John Hornbeck, uh, another roadie in 26th. Timothy Duggan, 29th. Lachlan Morton um, DNF'd the race. He had the worst day of all the pro roadies probably with multiple punctures and a torn sidewall. He pulled out at Twin Lakes Feed Zone at about mile 40. Sally Bingham bagged her uh, third Leadville Trail 100 for Topeak Ergon. She was a 14th overall for, for the whole field. So she beat a lot of men. Amazing. She beat a lot of pro men as well. Her time was, yes, slower than we've seen women turn in recent years at 7.06. But still, um, so that's her third win. And Fatty, uh, I believe Reba has four of these, right? So that's right. So we're, we're talking about a showdown here pretty soon, I would assume. You know, maybe, maybe. Uh, it'd be interesting to have uh, Ms. Rush come on back and uh, put a good hard race into this. You know, it. Uh, Leadville has become more of an event for her in the last few years, and she didn't even show this year. She was she's in Iceland, I believe, for a different mm-hmm. race this year. Wait, wait, you know her pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, has she ever given you any indication that she, she wants to come back and race it? Um, yes, um, via text <laughs> she has uh, very recently. So, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, she she definitely you know, she's interested in the race she's doing right now, but she. Uh, said it was very bittersweet to not be there this year, and um, I kind of got the sense that uh, she may be coming back. I would love to see her 
really uh, train for and make Leadville her A event again uh, sometime just to see uh, see her go toe to toe with some of these uh, some of these new kids on the block. Well, up next on our Leadville extravaganza, the rest of us, those folks behind those that front group, uh, our day. We're going to focus on Fatty and the Hammer. One gear, one goal. That's coming up next on the Pace Line. Bring them on in, Leadville, your 2016 champion. Make them feel at home, Mr. Todd Wells. Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty at FatCyclist.com, Patrick Brady, RedKitePro.com. I'm your host, uh, Michael Houghton. Fatty, leading into Leadville, you put on out a challenge, that is, to your readers to, to help them make up your mind, whether to ride gears or single speed, whether to ride with the monster or the hammer. All they had to do was give money to uh, Nike, I think. That's right. right. And Nike. then they could decide. Yeah, then they could decide your fate. How did that go? And and uh, what did you end up doing? And then tell us about your day at Leadville. All right. Well, um, a- as you say, I did a fundraiser to uh, for NICA, the National uh, Interscholastic Cycling Association. In other words, hi- uh, high school kids on mountain bikes. And we raised around $4,000 um, where people were able to, base- to put their money where they wanted me to be and I would be obligated to go with that. So I, in the end, wound up being uh, my wife's domestique as she pursued a new women's record on the single speed. And so you, you uh, raised money for Nika mm-hmm. and you took a major decision out of your own hands yeah. by allowing... And so you're on single speed. Yep, I had, for the day I had planned. Had you trained for that? Was that your no. original thought? No, no, no. I had built up and have the most beautiful uh, felt nine FRD uh, hardtail with a RockShox RS one um, and a SRAM XX one drivetrain uh, Shimano XTR brakes and uh envy m50 wheels and envy cockpit in other words i built a dream bike that i had planned to ride and instead rode my i think three-year-old uh specialized stump jumper single speed which is still no slouch of a bike but it is definitely a different kind of bike um and i i rode that uh in service to the hammer the idea being that I was, wasn't going to be able to do much in terms of helping her uh, climb faster, except for maybe pushing through and sort of making a path for her in the crowded first climbs. And But I would be able to help her in the flats. And mm-hmm. as it turns out, that worked out pretty dang well. Um, we yep. <laughs> um, very nearly uh, lost her right at the beginning. Uh, as I mentioned in my uh, 
first or second entry in my blog, um, she left me holding her bike at the starting line while she ran to go use the restroom. And then they drop a barrier so that people can kind of crowd in and get a little bit closer. And so when she came back, I was with both of our bikes in a completely different location. And there are, I think, what, 1,600 starters? And we're all dressed, you know, essentially the same. So that she found me before the start of the race at all was at least a little bit of luck. Um, How much have you moved? How far have you moved? I probably moved about 40 feet. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, You were about to describe, Michael. Uh, Feel free to go ahead and do that. What happens there? Well, what happens there, of course, is you're standing in corrals, and at some point just before the start, they drop the ropes on the corrals and allow people to bunch up or tighten up. Mm-hmm. And if you are across Harrison Avenue which I was. on 6th, you, which you were, you cross the street and move. You probably moved a, a block, at least a full city block, from where you were when the hammer left you to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. This, of course, sends her scrambling, trying to find, A, her husband, but B, more importantly, her bicycle, which she'll need to complete this journey. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah. It, it start, things started uh, with a little bit of a panic uh, on both of our parts. But we had a, a pretty good start. on Since uh, it starts with a few miles of downhill on pavement and we were both on single speeds, a lot of people passed us. And that's just to be expected. We just sort of, mm-hmm. you know laugh and you know wave by as people go and so our our placing shifted backward several hundred people and i'm i'm not exaggerating at all when i say that um and then things sort of funnel and um bottleneck as we go up st kevin's and at that point things become really difficult because as single speeders we are either walking or we are going faster than people are going in their granny gears on their geared bikes and with people four to six abreast and very tightly packed it was difficult and so i was asking people to budge aside especially when the hammer got ahead of me a little ways and started disappearing a couple bikes away you know she she's narrower smaller than i am and is able to weave through smaller uh slots um so i'm asking people to let me through and some people were getting a little bit upset. Hey, dude, where are you going? Where do you think you – know, look at, look ahead. Do you think you're really going to get ahead? And I'm trying to explain. Hey, guys, I'm just trying to A, stay on my bike and B, stay caught up with my wife. And people mm-hmm. were pretty cool about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, – the one of the great moments of the race was as we got about 15 miles into the race, after you dropped down on the pavement um, – there's about a three-mile descent on pavement. Um, our daughter caught up with us, um, and we had been wondering whether, you know, and that was one of the things people bet on. Would we beat her by an hour or more, or would she be less than an hour behind us by the end of the race? This is her first year of mountain biking, and 15 miles into the race, she was right with us. Um, and, in yeah, she uh, she is a strong climber, and a phenomenal descender. So um, it, we were really impressed with her. And in fact, when we pulled into the uh, the Twin Lakes aid station, which is 40 miles into the race, 
uh, she pulled in right behind us again. So 40 miles into the race, she, this uh, 20-year-old first-year mountain biker was still with us. Um, that would not be the case as we uh, started working our way up Columbine um, because the first five miles or so of Columbine really is single speed land. People don't realize it, but if you are on a single speed and have a fair amount of strength, you can just make up all kinds of time on this, you know, not especially difficult grade, um, long course where you just get, get into your climbing groove and you go. I would say we, we caught and passed well north of a hundred people, um, during that five miles. Hmm. Um, Turned around at five hours, which was a concern to me um, because my experience is that we uh, – that Leadville is very much a neutral split, meaning your turnaround time times two is your finish time. And uh, Lisa, the hammer, was really hoping to finish faster than um, than nine hours and 50 minutes, which means we were five minutes off pace. Um, she wanted to finish faster than 950 because that is the women's single speed record, which she held. And she knew there was one other racer who, uh, was making a good hard attempt at catching her and beating that record as well. Christina Ross, we had no idea where Christina was. Turns out she was only five minutes behind us at that point. Um, so uh, the race was closer than we thought and things looked bad. What I did not know and had never witnessed is that my wife is a super strong second halfer. Um, where we did the first half of the race in five hours, we did the second half in under four and a half hours. Um, she just lit a fire. And um, uh, there there were points where I was no longer working for her but uh, was having to wave her in front and give me a break uh, because I could not pull any longer and she was going too fast. And <laughs> I, um, and this in spite of the fact that she and I were using pretty significantly different gearing. Uh, she was riding a 3220. I was riding a 3419. And, you know, with the, with the intention that, you know, with the bigger gear, I would be able to give her better pulls. But the fact is, <laughs> it doesn't matter what your gearing is. It, when you're tired, you're tired. And um, in the end, um, she just killed uh, the, what many people think of as, and very correctly so, the crucible of the race, which is the power line climb, uh, four miles of incredibly difficult uh, climbing, uh, that begins approximately, I think, 78 miles into the race. So you've been well softened up <laughs> by the by the course, um, except for the first half mile, which uh, very few people, except for the very top pros, can ride. She rode the entire thing on a single speed. Um, she rode more. She rode more of that, in fact, on the, her single speed than I did. I got off and walked more often than she did. She just put on a clinic. Um, and we uh, bombed down, got super lucky as we hit the base of St. Kevin's, which means you are down to the last few miles of the race. Got incredibly lucky with the tailwind to end all tailwinds. Um, I literally sat up and just put my arms out wide 
Um, you know, and it's a, a wide and easy enough dirt road that you can go no handed like that. And I just sailed. I used my body as a sail and I was uh, looking down going, well, I'm going 19 miles an hour, which is way faster than I can pedal on a single speed. And um, <laughs> just, you know, just, just flying along, getting blown to the finish line. And thanks to that, uh, a, a great strong um, tailwind at the finish and very strong second half by my wife. We beat her previous um, her previous best, which was the women's single speed record, uh, by twenty five minutes. Holy so cow! The new women's single speed record set by my wife is nine hours and twenty six minutes. Um, mm. Christina Ross, to her great benefit, this is only her second Leadville, and she's done both of them on the single speed, finished uh, exactly 10 hours, 10 hours and zero minutes and zero seconds, which is, you know, kind of an amazing (laughs) finish time on its own, Um, uh, showing that, I mean, going from five minutes behind at the turnaround to being uh, 34 minutes behind at the end, uh, what a strong second half for my wife is. She, mm-hmm. where everyone else kind of fades, she seems to just gather steam. Well, I, I caught up with you, Fatty, at the finish line <laughs> and went directly for my microphone and recorder to kind of capture you know, your emotion and your thoughts on the day. So this is, an, I think, folks, an interesting look at you know, how it feels to finish this race and what you kind of go through right after. Here's Fatty oh, and boy. I at 6th and Harrison right after the Leadville Trail 100. Michael Houghton and Fatty at the finish line of the Leadville Trail 100. Oh, yeah. How did it go for you today? Oh, I've never been so happy. Uh, I raced for the hammer, and she set a new single-speed women's record, knocked 23 minutes off the previous best, which was also her record. So I'm super proud of her and just super happy with our day. And I'm now staring down at the finish line waiting for our daughter to finish. Awesome. So, so amazing day. Absolutely amazing day. You two passed uh, me and my partner coming out of Twin Lakes. It was awesome seeing you. <laughs> but it was not awesome having you pass me, dude. <laughs> I was hoping to get in here before you, but that's okay. You, you guys laid it down today beautifully. I mean, it was My wife is so strong. She is just, you know, tough as nails and had a great day. You know, one of those perfect days. The weather was perfect. Uh, I never got hot. Uh, never ran out of food. Never ran out of water. Everything was just boom, 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 perfect. Yeah, yeah. How about you? My day went okay. I was contemplating pulling the plug at Pipeline. I was really in a bad way. But I pushed on. My wife said, keep going. You can make it. And I did. And actually gained a little strength climbing over uh, Powerline, which was great. That's but a victory to, of its own. Yeah, it is. I want to ask you one other thing, though. Yeah. I mean, you've done, this is your what, 20th start? 20th start, 19th finish. Right. And you probably learn something every time you line it up here. Can't, it may be too early right now, but what do you think you learned today? You know what I learned today? I learned that the double X1 Eagle is the bane of single speeders. Those guys can go one quarter mile per hour up a hill, and it was just killing me. Those guys shifting into their tiny, tiny granny gears, and I needed to climb. I needed to pass them. There was nowhere to go. So they're great for whoever's on them. If you're a single speeder behind him, oh man, it is hard to be behind, be behind one. What'd you learn? Um, I learned once again to keep pushing. I mean, that's a good a, lesson. It's an ongoing lesson I have to learn that you don't want to give up. 
You want to keep moving ahead. I mean, Clover's right. Don't, don't give yeah. up. Because the problem is, if you give up, it opens the door for giving up again exactly. and again and again. Exactly. And that's why he says that. I mean, that's why. Yep. He and I would say I also learned my wife is so incredibly tough. I just had no idea how strong she is. Yeah. So again, I was Fatty and I at the finish line of the, of the Leadville Trail 100, and uh, I love I you, man. I love you. I know. <laughs> you, can, you can tell a lot from the voices there how that event leaves you. Boy. Kind of in a kind of in a in a bizarre, dreamy, almost drunk state. Drunk yes. on endorphins oh, is what is what it is. I mean, I, I, I of course have no idea or had no idea that I sounded like that. But um, <laughs> you best. know, I actually really like that guy. I like that guy uh, that is me <laughs> crossing the finish line. I was happy and proud and you know just in love with what had just the day it presented me. So I apologize not at all for anything I said, although, um, although you know, in, in retrospect, as I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind having an double uh, X1 Eagle uh, drivetrain at some point. Those things really, I mean, you can really gear down and just uh, grind up practically anything on those. Mm-hmm. Well, Fatty, you've described uh, the Leadville Trail 100 as a eating and drinking contest. So how about you and I uh, do a little note comparison All on right. the day's menus? You want me to go first or do you want to go first? Go ahead. You want me to go first? Yeah. Well, here is uh, Michael Hottie's uh, day of eating at the Leadville Trail 100. Uh, the morning started off uh, very early, 3.30 a.m. wake-up call. I had made steel-cut oats the night before, put some peaches and blueberries on the top, four pieces of bacon, coffee, a pre-hydration drink by scratch, that's a salty one, and then a hot drink that I took to the start line also by scratch. It's kind of nice to have at the start line because it was like 36, I think, at the start, Fatty. Ooh. It was nice to have a warm drink there to hang out with. Uh after Kevin's, um, I, you know, you come off Kevin's, you're on the pavement. I had a piece of Spanish tortilla. I like these. Uh, it's a layered potato dish. And I foil them up and had one of those uh, as I came off Kevin's. Uh, that and a bonk breaker bar as I made my way up a Hagerman Pass Road. Uh, just before Pipeline, another chunk of Spanish tortilla. And then at Pipeline, where I urinated for the first and many times, I wolfed down a Stroop waffle and then refreshed my uh, pockets and bottles. And by now, I'd finished a bottle of Bonk Breaker Hydration and about a half of a, of a drink that has a branched-chain amino acids in it. And this is something that Goo Nutrition is working a lot with right now, and other nutritionists are starting to explore, and that is the use of branched-chain amino acids in hydration drinks to help endurance athletes kind of stave off, not necessarily the bonk, but the fatigue that comes with a long event. And the theory is that Branched-chain amino acids, which is a part of the amino acid family, which you need to, to build, actually make protein, um, those three critical amino acids can help you with the fatigue factor that comes in a long event. Now, on the way to Twin Lakes, I ate a package of Cliff Blocks and downed most of a big bottle of Noon. That's a sponsor for my team. Had to get them in there. And then at Twin Lakes, my wife had for me a piece of strudel. Ah. Uh, <laughs> a perfect way to start the Columbine climb. So I munched about, oh, most of that, I would say. And then on the way up Columbine, ate more cliff blocks. And almost a whole package, I would say, getting to the top of Columbine. Drank another uh, bottle uh, from Bonk Breaker, their new hydration drink. And then continue to sip my BCAA mix. Again, I'm trying to just 
you know, stave off any fatigue that might start developing. Back at Twin Lakes, uh, ate a half an almond butter sandwich uh, and urinated for the fourth time. Uh, then riding back to Pipeline, ate a bong breaker bar, half a package of clip blocks, and drank most of a bottle of, a big bottle, that is, of noon, about 24 ounces. Um, then what else? Oh, continue on. Yeah, this is not done with the eating part of here. Uh, back at Pipeline, I finished that piece of strudel. Lovely. Uh, <laughs> wolfed down another Stroopwafel, chugged some Coke, and nearly pulled out, but uh, was on my way with a little caffeine and sugar in the blood system. Uh, the cool thing about Powerline is a lot of fans are out there, mm-hmm. and they are handing up uh, more soda, which is great, and food. So on the way up Powerline, I think I got a Coke and some Pepsi and at least uh, one gel shot going up. Plus, I was eating Cliff Blocks um, going up over the top of uh, Powerline. On Hagerman, the descent, I did some more blocks and a, fi- a five-hour energy shot to try and keep things going. And I continue to sip on this BCAA solution again trying to keep the, the mind from just shutting down altogether. Carter Aid Station, which is an unofficial, well, it's not an unofficial, but it's, it's an aid station where you cannot have your own supporters there. So it's like a volunteer aid station. They were handing out Coke and potato chips, and I gladly took some of those. Um, I survived the rest of the way home on cliff blocks. Then, at the finish, we don't stop here. <laughs> we keep eating. Uh, top Ramen... Interesting choice for uh, the Leadville series to have top ramen out, potato chips, watermelon, a small peanut butter sandwich went down the gut. Uh, we rolled home where I downed some hydration drink. I'm sure I ate something, something that was in arm's length, I'm sure. I don't remember what it was. And for dinner, we had the classic mountain biker food, burritos, stuffed with chicken and steak, beans, wrapped in a massive tortilla, a couple of chocolate chip cookies for dessert. And then, of course, in the middle of the night, I woke up hungry, so got up and had a bowl of cereal. Wow. That was my day of eating and drinking for the Leadville Trail 100. Match that, Fatty. Wow. I, I, first of all, I'm impressed that you have an, a memory for all of that. <laughs> um, yeah. Wait, I want to ask. Um, I mean, Michael, do you have some idea just how many calories that was? I, that's the one thing I haven't done, Patrick, is counted... The calories. I mean, that's got to be at least 8,000 calories. Um, you think? Well, I mean, prove me wrong. You know, I, I, I'll have to do the math. That's the one thing I didn't do. Next take show. Time to count all next yeah. show. Next, next show, a calorie count from the Leadville Trail 100. <laughs> okay. Fatty, go. Okay. Uh, mine is so much simpler than yours. Uh, so I started the morning with a quad shot of espresso and whole milk, uh, two spoonfuls of sugar, and a and French toast, three slices. Um, let's see. Uh, went to the starting line and ate a bonk breaker, almond butter, and honey uh, bar. So yeah, uh, you and I have some overlap there. Really like the bonk breakers. You get 250 calories in a nice, uh, moist, and compact bar that tastes delicious. And I like to get in around 200, 250 calories at the start line of a big race like that. Once I was going, um, boy, the story gets so simple for me, and this works for me. Um, I have my uh, GPS set to chime every 30 minutes, at which point, no matter what, I have a Goo Roctane gel, um, random flavor, but always Goo Roctane, and 
um, I would nurse a, a, a bottle of two-thirds strength Carbo Rocket 333, which means 222 calories per bottle, um, just at will. Uh, I had uh, one bo- uh, a bottle of that and a bottle of water on my cage at all times and just would have that changed at every aid station so that I always knew that I had a full bottle of each every time I changed. Um, and that is the entirety, that's the entirety of the story for my food on the Leadville 100. I keep it very mm-hmm. simple. One half hour, I have a gel. I drink from my, um, I drink from the CR 333. Um, and that keeps me at around 200 to 250 calories per hour. I don't mess around with anything that I can chew during that race at all, period. Um, after the race, I, I, I didn't really feel like eating for a while. I was mostly just wanting to drink and that was a lot of water, really. I just had an extraordinary appetite for bottle after bottle of water for a while. Uh, once, um, the sort of post-race exhilaration, elation, and frankly, nausea ends, um, after that, I had a big burrito, just like you did, uh, and uh, a couple of Klondike bars, and that's my day. Mm, yummy. So <laughs> I forgot the beer, by the way. I did go for a, a local beer, I think a 22-ounce or so, a big bottle of beer, too, afterwards. There you go. It was part, was part of dinner. Uh, you can do well on a, a day worth of, of gel. How does how's the gut feel at the end of the day like that? Uh, I do. I, I feel just fine after that. Um, I, that is the way I train, and I would say that is probably one lesson that I would recommend to anyone: is if you're going to be doing all day racing, you need to make sure that you practice eating during your all day training events in the yeah. exact same way. Um, exactly. You know, ju- the fact that this, you know, that a goo every half hour works for me doesn't mean that it's going to work that well for you. Um, although I would put forth that y- it probably works better for more people than you might think. There's a lot of people who are off put by the idea of, I mean, the fact is, you know, I was out there for nine and a half hours. That means I had 19 gels that day. I was just I doing the math on fine. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't take one. I didn't have to take one at, at, um, you know, because I got in at nine thirty, you know, nine twenty six, and I probably, you know, I wouldn't have taken one at nine thirty if we were going to get in at nine thirty one either. But, mm-hmm. um, and I do every time always sort of celebrate the, the consuming of the final gel of the race. Right. I'm like, that was my last one. I have less than half an hour to go, but <laughs> you know, yeah, you, of course you get tired of uh gel but the fact is at altitude not having to essentially hold your breath while you chew makes a difference um Mm -hmm. and so yeah it it worked for me uh you also meant oh and and i i I did forget to say that at uh, each of the three aid stations that i stopped at i did have four uh electrolyte capsules uh to stave off cramps and at the return uh, summit of Powerline, there was an actual hotshot aid station where they were giving out hotshots. And that was very fortuitous placement. Uh, and I'm sure they had thought about it because uh, my left hamstring was, in fact, starting to cramp. So I sucked down two of those. The first because I hoped it would get rid of my cramps, which it did. And the second because I just happened to like the flavor. Hmm. So. <laughs> 
great day of riding and eating, if I uh, may say. Bon appetit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Very delicious day we had <laughs> on and off the bike at the Leadville Trail 100. Honestly, uh, Michael, I got to say, I'm, I'm impressed at your ability to, uh, to eat such a broad diversity of stuff during such an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I was amazed. I mean, it, it sounded like, you know, some, some survey of, of, you know, a high-end food court. <laughs> <laughs> well, f- to me, food is mood. And that's why I start the day with bacon, even though a traditionalist would say, why are you eating bacon before a big ride when you're going to burn a lot of carbohydrates? Because to me, I want to be in a good mood. Yeah. And bacon puts me in a good mood. So do pancakes, so do a lot of things. But bacon in particular, I, I love the smell and I love the taste. And out on the course, mm-hmm. I, you know, I wanted a carrot out there. And that carrot was a piece of strudel. Um, so when I got to Twin Lakes, I was looking forward to that. I was mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing my wife and that piece of strudel. And I was glad to ingest it quickly. So I, I go for things I like. And sometimes it's more of a struggle to get things out of packages or to chew things. Although I've um, adopted a little Levi Leipheimer thing, uh, which is the the squirrel method, where you take whatever solid food it is and shove it in your cheek, <laughs> um, and and work at it like a squirrel would. Um, so that all seems to work. Um, I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. I could actually I could eat like fatty and probably get away with it too. I mean, I could ingest goose all day and more than likely get away with that. But I love food and it puts me in a good mood. Um, and I and I needed it, I think, uh, this past Leadville Trail 100 because there was a little doubt creeping in the mind. Hmm. Fatty, we were not the only ones racing, by the way. Uh, Patrick, our partner, was also on Nobbies, by the way. Yeah, there was a slightly smaller field, a slightly shorter course, a slightly lower elevation. But Patrick sounds like there was an, an equal amount of risk, <laughs> uh, of injury, at least in your case. How did your day go while we were... Uh, crushing ourselves in the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, well, it wasn't really the day I was uh, hoping for. Um, uh, the The history of Anadel is that it has traditionally started in downtown Santa Rosa, uh, and then there's this mad drag race for the park. Um, that was done away with this year, and the start uh, was actually at Spring Lake Park, which is uh, a city park that sits right next to Annadale. And so we were on a, uh, a fire road climb, you know, basically from the word go, um, followed by uh, a brief descent uh, that was single track uh, back to a, a very short bit of road before we were basically, you know, mixing uh, fire road and single track for the rest of the day. Um, and it was on that opening descent, uh, down a trail called cobblestone where, um, I hit a rock just a little bit wrong and that bounced me slightly left and I caught my bar on a tree and it sent me to the ground. Um, we'll say post haste. Um, I'm still not sure how I got from tagging the, the left side of the bar, the left end of the bar, uh, to being on the ground on my right side and back. Uh, I can't quite work through the math of that. Um, but it was, uh, I was down in a heap um, and in, we'll say some pain, uh, but it was one of those things that there were, it was a, a you know long line of single guys, you know, just stacked up in our, our 50 plus field. And so when I went down, 
guys rolled away and then I stopped, you know, four guys behind me. Um, you know, I got up, let a few guys by me, got back on the bike, got rolling again, you know, was just interested to get rolling. And, um, the next mile I can say I didn't hit my head, but I was scrambled. I was definitely scrambled. I wasn't riding well. I wasn't confident. Um, little stuff was screwing me up. Um, and I just kind of struggled through that next little bit of, um, single track until I got onto the, the big fire road climb, uh, that takes you, you know, deep into the park. And, uh, that's where I kind of started to get my, myself back together a little bit. But, um, I was noticing that my left, uh, my right pinky was hurting. Um, and, uh, couldn't grip anything with it. It wasn't really all that bloody, but I couldn't really get a great look at it because of, uh, uh, a glove. Um, and I was spending more time just trying to talk myself into continuing the race. Um, than I was thinking about eating and drinking and whatnot. Somehow, yeah, I, I, I kept it together. My technique started coming back a little bit. I did actually bend uh, the left brake lever, uh, but I got some attention for that at one of the SAG stops. Uh, Kevin Gambini of Breakaway Bikes, uh, which is practically next door to me, he was there. Uh, He got on top of that, actually straightened out the bar because I'd managed to turn the stem. Um, And... uh, so yeah, he got my bike back to a point where, you know, it felt normal again. And, uh, I kept riding and powered through to the finish. Um, late in the race, this guy comes up behind me, starts complaining about slow people and, you know, how they slow, uh, slow all us fast guys down. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so he's pleased that I did get by those other cyclists I just passed. And then I get into a turn and I, I hit the brakes and he goes, God, dude, don't break now, you know, go, go, go. And I realize, oh my gosh, it's Levi Leipheimer. Uh, mm-hmm. early in the race, some guy who was just out for a morning ride coming down, uh, the big fire road, just plowed into Levi, destroyed his front wheel. Um, that guy ended up being taken away on a sweat, on a stretcher, I hear, uh, taken to the hospital. Levi managed to ride, uh, back down, got a wheel and then, you know, ended up, uh, you know, doing the full course and finishing just a couple minutes before me. But after, uh, after I heard him, you know, I pulled to the left a little bit, let him slip by. He shot by me on. At a speed that I just, I can't even believe, um, on a four inch travel bike doing stuff on a four inch bike that I can't do on a five inch bike. Um, but he got a little gap and then all of a sudden he tapped his brakes and looked around to see if I was there and, uh, gave a little flick of his head and was actually trying to get me to ride his wheel into the finish. And I just, I couldn't even stay on him. Um, and I was flying at that point. Um, I'd finally pretty well gotten my confidence back. Um, you know, it was a pretty classy move. I, I gotta say I was, um, he doesn't know me anything. And, uh, it was, it was kind of a fun little moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did ride into the finish. Um, I got to the finish realizing that I'd drunk 
not even all of one bottle and eaten three gels. So, you know. That was your day of eating? Wow. Uh, not, yeah. Less than a bottle and three gels? Yeah. You got some work to do. Um, <laughs> I, you know, and that was like, a, what, uh, two hours and 45 minutes, something like that. I forget my actual finishing time. I haven't looked at it since, uh, yeah. since Saturday afternoon. Um, now, you, you write for a living, write, not ride, yeah. but write. And how is the, how's, the, how's the keyboard going right um, now? So on Monday, I went to see the doctor, and they did some x-rays. And uh, fortunately, whatever break there is must just be hairline because there's no displacement or anything. Uh, you know, there's no clean, obvious break. Uh, but the pain is way down in the bone itself. It's not in the joint. Mm. Um, so uh, the fingers, you know, not that bad. It's a... Uh, a painter would love the colors, is what I'll say. <laughs> um, uh, I've got a splint that I can take off. And so, uh, fortunately, because it's right pinky, you know, that's, um, you know, shift key, return key, you know, n- not a lot <laughs> of other stuff. So, I'm I'm pretty okay on the typing. Um, when the splint's on, I can't do much with it at all. And, okay. you know, this big giant thing gets caught on stuff and ends up causing me more pain than it's worth. Okay. Love it. All right. <laughs> You're going to be good. It's going to be okay. Oh yeah, it'll it'll be fine, but uh yeah. that was um I was down in a heap. Well, good. Gentlemen, uh some successful uh weekend of riding, I think, yeah. uh, for the three of us, which is cool. And all of us on nobbies, which I I love that symmetry. That's it's beautiful. Um we're going to get into something uh uh non-Leadville and pretty serious folks coming up that crazy surfer who was out, got a thing out for cyclists he was caught on tape threatening one of us um and we're gonna take a listen to what he said and ask a lot of questions about where is law enforcement on this one and we also take a look at the winning machines from Leadville that is next on the pace line current U.S. national champ and two-time Leadville 100 champion and fifth place finisher in 2016 riding for team Tram. please welcome Todd Wells The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, Fatty, Patrick Brady, and Michael Houghton here. And there's a no mistaken, boys, we were all shocked and pissed to see and hear what was on a video taped by a cyclist in Southern California. This happened in Orange County, town of Corona del Mar. The cyclist claims that Robert Lewis, the driver of a pickup, brushed his elbow as he drove by him. Lewis got out of his vehicle and confronted the cyclist who recorded the whole thing. Here's that recording now. We have not beeped out a thing, so if a few cuss words send you sideways, then uh, turn it down. But we think the audio in its raw form shows just what we can be up against uh, in some of these confrontations. Come on, fuck with me. Don't hit me. Huh? What what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Huh? Put it on tape? Surfer against a queer? Huh? Is that what you're going to do? Tough guy? You want to be a tough guy? You're not so tough right now, are you? Call the cops. You're not to- so tough, are you, small guy? You're short I'm following the guy. law. You're not following the law. You're a tiny little man. Think Vehicle you're a big code. Shot. Vehicle code. You're a big shot. Twenty-one seven six zero. Twenty-one seven six zero. Three I feet. Smack you so fucking good. If there wasn't any witnesses, you know what I'd do to you? I'd pull Trump on What's you. What's your name? Huh? My name is your worst enemy, motherfucker. My name is your worst enemy. You want to? F- I'm your Huckleberry, buddy. 
I'm your fucking Huckleberry, you short little fucking punk. Huh? You come through this town thinking you're fucking really cool on your bike? Like you own this lane? Look at the bike lane is on this it's side. It's called Shero. It's right in the middle of the street. Shero. I get Shero. I get but that you entire came lane. around me like this. You, you came blocked around. my way. You I didn't block your way. way. I honked my horn because you were way over in our lane. No, that's my lane. No, it's, it's not Cheryl. your lane. It's, it's not Cheryl. Your lane. Look at the law. Look I'll at the law. Watching you. You're lucky today, buddy. Look at buddy. the law. You're lucky today. What's your name? Huh? My name is your worst enemy. Okay. You fucking short little fucking faggot. Huh? Come on. Come on. I'm just looking at Come you. On. I'm not coming after you. No, I'm you're not because you're, you. you're afraid, aren't you? You're a pussy. That's why. Think you're a tough guy on your fucking stupid little bike, but you're a short little fucking pussy. Right? And you don't want to fuck with a guy like me, a surfer, that lives in this fucking town. Puts up with your fucking shit all the time. Right? Puts up with your shit all the time like you own this fucking price. Like you own the road. You don't own the you road, You own the buddy. road? I don't own the road, but you're the one oh, that fucking well, got I me was, in the way. See that sign right there? No, That's Shero. See that? In the middle of the see that? Shero. Huh? Shero. See that symbol right there? 6RUA223. See this? See this? This means you're a fucking dead man walking. You come onto my fucking land. Okay? You're a fucking dead man. 6RUA223. 6RUA223. Ford Escape. There you got it. Shero. So Robert Lewis, the angry man you heard on the tape there, has since apologized, said he didn't know about the Sheros. And the Sheros, by the way, you can see on the tape, the cyclist points his camera at the street, and you can see Sheros stenciled on the tarmac. He didn't know that cyclists are allowed to take the lane in such cases. Lewis describes himself as an old surfer and a knucklehead in this case. Newport Beach Authority is still investigating, but it seems like a no-brainer here, Patrick. I mean, you don't need to have a law degree to know that something criminal here has taken place. You know, forgetting the fact that he called him, you know, a queer and a faggot, you know, had the cyclist actually been uh, gay, those would be hate crimes. Um, but forgetting that for a moment, you know, let's just go with the dead man walking. He threatened the guy's life. That's a felony. It's a felony. Um, and that, you know, Newport beach police department hasn't done more, uh, to follow up on this is just awful. Um, this whole thing just makes my blood boil. Uh, I, I wrote a post, uh, this past week, uh, about an incident I experienced in 2001 where uh, a kid leaned out the window of a van as it was being driven by and hit me twice with a flip-flop. I didn't get hurt, but I had inches to spare both to the left and the right of me. And, uh, you know, I wrote about that because of the effort I went to uh, with the local sheriff's department uh, to make sure that, you know, the crime was prosecuted. And it took a lot of work on my part. I really had to chase the investigator. And I think this is an example of, you know, okay, fine. You know, you've got video documentation of exactly what happened. But without placing a lot of pressure on the police department, they just don't care. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, our advocacy efforts on our own behalf, you know, we really have to improve upon. Uh, nothing's going to change if we just sit around and wait for the cops to decide that cyclists matter. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't need Sheros in this case 
to decide whether or not this guy did something wrong. He did something wrong on a number of levels, whether that had been a cyclist or a pedestrian or just about another motorist. There, it, this has almost nothing to do with cycling and more with human interaction and how uh, somebody goes after another person and then threatens that person with yeah. their life. So yeah. uh, trust me, the pace line, we're going to keep an eye on this one. We'll let you know uh, what happens to Mr. Lewis, if anything at all, down in Orange County, California. Uh, let's wrap things up, guys, on a good note, though, and uh, one that we always love here on the Pace Line, and that is gear and Leadville, another one of our favorite topics. Uh, Fatty, let's take a look at the, the bikes, the winning machines. Um, you and I discussed a lot about equipment while we were in Leadville. Uh, for Todd Wells, uh, he, he used to be sponsored by Specialized. In fact, we had won his two previous uh, Leadville Trail 100 on a stump jumper, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a Scott hardtail for him this time, and shifting was handled by the new Grupo that I guess you have sort of fallen in love with, and that is the <laughs> Eagle Group from SRAM. He had the 50-tooth rear cassette, which is stock with the SRAM. Uh, that meant that Todd ran a 38-tooth front chain ring to do all his climbing, a 3850. Um, was his choice of gearing at Leadville uh, to mash it. Now, you ran, Fatty, uh, what was your single speed setup? 3419 was mine. Uh, my wife was riding a 3220. Okay, so Todd had a distinct advantage over you then with a 38, <laughs> even with a 3850. Now, 38, that's a, that's a sizable ring. Ted King, who uh, came over for dinner one night, in fact, at the, at the Fatty house, uh, said he ran a 36 on his uh, Eagle group. So he had a 3650 to climb with. Todd had a, a waxed based lubrication on his chain that is rated at about 600 miles. That's how long it will last, but it reduces friction by about six watts. He mounted arrow bars for the flats, used Look Road pedals, wore a skin suit, RockShox SID fork with a 95 PSI, hmm. and he went with Maxis Icons. Pressure, here you go, Fatty. We talked about tire pressure last week. 27 front, 29 Rear sounds pretty firm, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a lot higher than I would have expected from him. But yeah, uh, you can't you can't question it, right? The guy right. knows what he is doing. He has his reasons. Yeah. Do you run anything different for single speed for pressure, or is it all the same to you? Uh, no, I run the same pressure no matter what. Uh, twenty two in front, twenty three in back. Yep. And I brought mine down to about twenty three up front and uh, 26 in the rear. Ran the same tires as the, the winner there, though. Really happy with that, that tire setup. Hmm. Sally Bingham was on a Canyon hardtail. She also had the Eagle Group, a 36 front ring. Nice. Uh, Continental Race Kings, 2.2s, a RockShock RS1 fork was how Sally set up her bike for uh, the winner in the, the female division. Uh, Joe Dombrowski, by the way, was one of the few to run a two-by up front. He said he looked at the numbers and he preferred, in his preferred cadences, that is, he thought he could get more out of a two-by system than uh, the Eagle Group or any other uh, one-by system you might come across out there. Yay. A, a lot of talk this year. What? I'm sorry, Patrick. Go ahead. I just said yay. I mean, I still like front derailleurs. Oh, you said yay for the front derailleur. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a hero in Joe Dombrowski then because uh, he did run a two-by. Uh, aerodynamics became... More of a discussion for Leadville again this year, mostly driven by Jeremiah Bishop, who actually consulted with Team Sky's arrow guy about how to get more, how how to cheat the wind a little bit more, even in a situation like Leadville. 
Um, you know, you needed, or he would have needed to, to average 17.8 miles per hour to beat Alvin Lakata's record. And wow. to do that, he looked at a lot of things about a, a way to, to, to cheat the win. Now, I think in the end, Fatty, he needed more guys up there to help mm-hmm. pull him along and help establish a fast-moving uh, front group. But some of the things he was looking at were uh, a dropper post, maybe to get down lower, uh, obviously helmets and such. What he was told by the Team Sky consultant was, you know, basically get your head as low as you can to your forearms or as close as you can to your forearms without disrupting what's going on with your hips. Um, and so if you see some of the shots of Jeremiah, he certainly was getting down low to try and, and cut the win at Leadville, which becomes a big factor between a power line and twin lakes. You can really do a lot as far as aerodynamics and cheating the wind there is concerned. And I guess the one thing that uh, Patrick, I, I started thinking about regarding aero and mountain bikes, we've seen now an aero gravel bike. Is it is it just too crazy? Is this crazy talk to say, why not look at the aerodynamics of a mountain bike and maybe see if we can find some stuff there to increase speed? Or is, or is that just crazy talk? Are, are the engineers, the R&D guys, not even going to mess with that? Well, I'll, I'll answer you with what a, another company chose to do either two or three years ago, um, specialized with all the athletes they were sponsoring. Uh, they brought uh, a few of them who were planning to do Leadville uh, together in a little camp, and uh, they gave them uh, slightly deeper section wheels to get a little better aerodynamic advantage there. And uh, they put aero helmets on all the guys. Um, when they ran the math, you know, over a six-hour day, you know, it was minutes and minutes. Uh, so, I mean, I could say whatever I want. And people wouldn't necessarily believe me. But, you know, Specialized is pretty seriously focused on winning stuff. They want their sponsored athletes on the top of the podium. And they're not going to give up any opportunity to do that. And so they placed, uh, you know, aero helmets and aero wheels uh, or at least slightly more aero wheels uh, on the bikes that their athletes were riding. Mm-hmm. Yep, aerodynamics certainly can play a, a big role at the Leadville Trail 100, and we are again we're seeing more of that in the the top, at least the top athletes, and even I even some of the better amateurs. A lot of aero helmets out there. I saw aero bars, um, little little uh, time trial bars on on folks' bikes, trying to get low, trying Makes to get great aero, sense. Uh, and some of the, yeah, it does. It certainly does. If you can handle it, if you've if you've practiced in that position a little bit, it can certainly help out uh, somewhat. Well, Fatty, uh, I think we have uh, sufficiently exhausted the <laughs> Leadville topic. Uh, can we at least put this thing to rest? For I think we owe it to Patrick and the, and the listeners to put it to rest for, for what, what? Say, one, a couple one shows? Episode. We... <laughs> one episode. Let's do. Let's make an, a goal of having um, not next episode, but the one after that be completely Leadville free. <laughs> yeah, because we're gonna have a little hangover factor. I think show thirty one. There'll probably still be a few more thoughts stirring <laughs> around in my. Yeah, show thirty two. Leadville is off limits, and we'll come up with a penalty system. Should either of us mention the L word? <laughs> you guys sound 30, like so alcoholics. To- no, I'm. I'm not quitting tomorrow, but I. I will prom- I'm. I'm not gonna drink next week. I promise. I can stop anytime I want. <laughs> We're Leadville holics. <laughs> we are drunk. Uh, on, uh, we are we are in a stupor over the lack of air uh, from that town. 
Okay, then. Well, I, I know this, that on uh, fatcyclist.com, Fatty, you will have a, a series of write-ups regarding your event. I will, to be sure. But I got one other thing I want to just tease here. And I'm not going to give you a lot of details. But I just want to say two names and a word. And, they're, and it's coming up soon on fatcyclist.com. Levi Leipheimer, Jan Ulrich, Crazy Outfits. Mm, I am intrigued. Okay. Oh, also, there is a prize. Oh. Involving Levi Leipheimer, Jan Ulrich, and Crazy Outfits. And Crazy Outfits. Okay, that is something we're thinking about in between shows and in between fatty casts. <laughs> and uh, Patrick... Yep. Uh, I've been keeping my eye on Red Kite Prayer while uh, trying to be a Leadvilleite. Uh, what is what is the latest and greatest there? Well, so today we just reposted some material, or we've posted for the first time, but it's a, a reprint of a story that Yuri Hauswald of Goo Energy uh, first wrote for the Bike Monkey magazine back when they did that. And of the gr- many truly great uh, mountain bike adventure travelogues that I've ever written, uh, read, uh, this one, this one's my favorite. And because it was published by bike monkey, which is to say, you know, a pretty tiny little audience, I really wanted to see this thing, uh, get a a larger life and, and enjoy a, a broader audience. And so we timed it to coincide, uh, with, uh, Yuri's re attempt at what went wrong in this uh, piece. So it's a story about uh, the Toyabi, and uh, he went out and got lost for 36 hours, and uh, people were ready to kill him when they found out he wasn't dead because they were so mad at him. But uh, he is reattempting the trip that went wrong in this story uh, beginning tomorrow. Uh, and so mm. it's a fantastic story. Uh, just a, a lovely piece of writing. I'm really proud to have uh, republished this uh, to hopefully give it a broader audience and uh, am looking forward to hearing about how tomorrow's adventures go for Yuri. Yuri is a great, great storyteller. There's more to that guy than legs and lungs. He's a very interesting man to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave him a little shout out at Leadville. I went by him at the bottom of the Columbine climb and encouraged him to jump in one day and do that race. So, yeah, he's always worth checking out. There's some stuff on FattyCast as well, a couple of interviews with Yuri that are very insightful, very interesting, and uh, good for any athlete, too, I think, just to absorb some of what he has learned over the years. Yep. Um, I have a post up on RKP, a review of the Sahara Kit from Giordana. It's designed for hot weather and really works nice. Uh, some interesting, interesting stuff that Giordana is up to with trying to keep a writer cool. Um, also, last year, by the way, uh, speaking of Leadville, I wrote a post specifically for roadies on why the LT100 is a perfect race for anyone predominantly riding skinnies. Check it out. It's called Leadville Trail 100, calling all roadies. <laughs> the pace line uh, can be found on the pages of Red Kite Prayer. It is there. You can leave us a comment, a question, a passing thought. Pace line also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. And for uh, instant pace line ramblings, follow us on Twitter at Paceline Podcast. That's show 30, folks. Thanks for supporting us. For Fatty and Patrick, I'm Michael Houghton. We'll talk to you next time on the Paceline. Patrick Hampton on the 8 hours, 41 minutes. Hans-Petter Millerug. Chris Klug. 